Welcome to another episode of Reanimate with Re. I'm so Yorkshire sometimes I say that so quick for my own good. <laughs> Reanimate with Re. Okay, in this episode, I'm going to be taking you through some Q&A um, questions that I've had on social media over the past couple of weeks. I normally like asking the sort of like over a few weeks because I tend to get a variety of responses so i like covering a wider base of topics so let's get into it and after watching or listening to this episode should i say um if you have any questions about anything that i've discussed just drop me a message on instagram and then obviously i can go into slightly more detail or a deeper dive into any of the topics that you obviously were intrigued about so let's get into it so question number one favorite high volume food slash locale meal great question i mean it's been a long time since i've been in the depths of a calorie deficit which i'll be starting again real soon so i say for me at the top of my head knowing that i've got a sweet tooth for me it's got a big greek yogurt with berries especially um strawberries and blueberries because they are significantly lower in natural sugars that occur so you can get so much out of them in terms of carbohydrates and then a little bit of dark chocolate a little bit of honey and if you get the really good brands of protein like perform you can get amazing flavors like cinnamon donut um coconut cream all that sort of stuff and you can mix that into the greek yogurt so you can actually get a really really good sweet tooth craving kind of ticked off and actually it's a really good all-rounder meal for hitting that high volume but it's lower in calories compared to what you'd normally go for if you just wanted something sweet so that is my go-to okay question number two thoughts on barefoot shoes i love them you know so i actually have a pair and i've got the original pair that they're just black and they're pretty sort of flimsy my feet do look like ducks in them in all honesty but what i do with mine is that i just wear them for the sessions where i'm training lower body i don't really walk around in everyday life with them on because i'm a little bit of a sneaker freak i like my trainers um and i don't want to look <laughs> like that in in barefoot shoes all the time so what i'll do is i'll carry them in my backpack and then when I'm doing lower body, I will wear them because the thing that I found is that with certain trainers, as you might know as well, your toes can pretty much like feel like they're crumpled up and just kind of like gathering together. It just doesn't feel very nice. And also from a training perspective, some trainers are just like absolute marshmallows. And if you're training lower body and you're wanting to get strong, you have to have a stable base both structurally within your joints and everything else like that but also your feet need to move they need to have um a consistent and stable sort of surface so that when you're producing force and you're trying to sort of push into something then it's actually a consistent um force that you're generating rather than your foot wobbling all over the place so obviously everything has its place but if you're wanting to get them to improve um your lower body sessions i think it's a really good thing to invest in they are expensive i'm a little bit of a geek i like doing all that sort of stuff because training is my life so it just depends on what it is you're wanting to get out of them but in my opinion i love them from the perspective of training lower body okay so question number three what was the hardest part of high rocks oh really good question <laughs> i think actually reflecting back on this do you know what in all honesty it was a sled 
because I was doing it with my little brother and we knew because we're at such different um, levels in terms of our training. So he's just started training very similar to how I train in terms of doing a little bit of weight training, kind of like this hybrid approach plus doing some running. And obviously my main goal for this year is the ultra marathon that's in June. And he's just sort of just getting involved in trying his first high rocks out with myself and then wants to do another one and he's enjoying that. So I knew that actually he's a faster runner, but I had a bigger engine. So actually when I did it, I felt amazing because I felt like all the body weight movements, I could just keep just bashing everything out. Um, and the runs, we pulled it back because you never want to do a high rocks with somebody where someone's just ignoring the other person if they're dying um, because it's just not fun. It's not nice. So what I did was I made sure that I was just communicating with him the entire time. And I was like, look, dude, how are you feeling? Um, you know, let's just um, pull it back if we need to in terms of running. And then we just made sure that the running was going to his pace rather than my pace. So that then meant I felt a bit fresher going into the stations themselves. But that being said, with the mixed doubles for High Rocks, the sled, I believe, is just over 150kg for the, the push. And I think it's just over 100 for the drag. So the drag felt really easy, but the push felt gnarly as hell. And then going from that heavy sled push back into the running, my heart rate spiked up and that lap around the sort of Manchester arena, whatever it was that we did it in, that felt pretty tough. So in my opinion, the sled push was the toughest. And second to that, the last one was wall balls because by that point, in my opinion, you want to be finishing strong and you want to kind of empty the tank a little bit. So I bashed out like 40 wall balls because by that point, with you and your partner, it depends if you just want to like split it equally or if you want to finish strong. In my opinion, if you get one person to just do as many as possible until they slow down and the other person is the same and you keep doing that until you rack up 100 or whatever it is that you do and then you just drag yourself across the finish line, that's how I like to finish events like that. So second to that would be the wall balls. Okay, next question, which is also a High Rocks related question. So High Rocks Prep, what do you eat before the event and what's the water station like during? So prior to the event of High Rocks, I treat it like any sort of big endurance or big session that's going to demand a lot of energy from me. So what I tend to do is carb load a little bit, but I don't really do it so much because, you know, High Rocks isn't my main sport at the moment. Like I said, I'm training for the ultra marathon, but... If you're doing a high rocks for the first time and you don't want to tank and you don't want to feel like ass when you're doing it, you actually need to make sure that for three to four days prior to that, you just add in a few more carbs to your main meals and you're also having, you know, the sort of carbohydrates where it's easy to, to do, sorry, easy to digest um, closer to the event as well. So for me, I know that my go-to carbohydrate sources, saurine, bagels, rice, fruit, that sort of stuff. So I, I stick to the carbohydrates that I know that digest really well because if I then start to add in things that I've not had before and my gut gets thrown off and <laughs> I need a shit or I just need to go to the toilet, then it's just not good for anybody. And it's the same with running because a lot of people experience that when they haven't trialed out certain carbohydrates but they go for a big long run, Unfortunately, they might need to go for a poo when they go for a run and they actually might end up shitting themselves, which happens to so many endurance runners. High rocks, I don't believe will have that effect, but 
you just need to make sure that you're not setting yourself up for that scenario where your gut just feels a little bit upset. So for me, what I did was, like I said, stuck to the same carbohydrate sources, had a little bit more of um, my main carbs in each main meal. And then on the actual day, I had my regular breakfast. I tried to have it early on. And then I had my regular lunch because the, the race that we did was at um, 6 p.m., I believe. Um, but then what I just made sure that I was doing was closer to the window of us doing the actual high rocks race was just making sure that I had liquid carbohydrates available. So like Lucozids. Um, I made sure that I had things like bananas, bagels, that sort of stuff. And I wasn't forcing it down, but I was just making a conscious effort that within like the 60 minute window, I had a sufficient amount of carbohydrates in my body. So essentially the three to four days prior to that, a little bit more than usual. Um, and then obviously on the day, a little bit more plus sort of within the 60 minutes leading up to it, you're looking at more of like your liquid carbohydrate source. The thing that you have to be careful with when it comes to carb loading and just changing things up like that as well is more water retention. Because if you're not managing how much water you're having, but suddenly you have more carbohydrates, you're going to be heavier, you're going to retain more water. So you have to make sure that you're not just going crazy with the carb loading and just using it as an excuse to eat every single carbohydrate that you see. So it's just about being a little bit more mindful about how many more carbs that you have when you have those. Um, it doesn't have to be super scientific. Like I said, just add maybe, let's say if you have like a half a bag of basmati rice with your dinner, and let's say that in the last three to four days leading up to the high rocks, you want to have slightly more carbohydrates in those main meals. So you might have, you know, maybe three quarters, maybe even a full bag of rice with that with that main meal and you'll you'll sleep really well. Um, but it's just making sure as well that actually you're just being a bit more mindful about when those carbs are coming in and it gives your body a good amount of time for those muscles to actually take on that extra glycogen, those extra carbohydrates, rather than just leaving it last minute and just trying to smash everything down you. So I hope that makes sense. But like I said at the start of this episode, if you want me to go into more detail and get really granular with it just drop me a message and i'll send you some more details about that as well okay question number five how many so funny how i've just been talking about carbohydrates the next one is about carbohydrates so how many serenes you packing for the ultra um mate in all honesty <laughs> i'm probably gonna put morrison's out of business now nah, i'm joking do you know what i've not even used any serenes in my ultra runs as of yet so i've just been relying on gels and i don't know about you or anyone that's done any sort of endurance running but my word when you get like an hour in and you have a gel it feels like an iv drip it just feels like it gives you so much more life so my goal just to give you a bit more context with the ultra runs and stuff like that so i've been testing out how many carbohydrates um i'll need every hour um with the longer runs because it's now getting to that point where i'm doing like above 20 kilometers for the training runs. And I've just recently done my half marathon in Barcelona. So we've just teetered over that sort of um, 20K mark in terms of they are now the new norm and building up from there. So then it just then means that I'm on my feet for much longer. And because those runs are significantly longer at a lower heart rate, it just means that I need to actually be more meticulous with how many carbs I'm having per hour and vice versa. So I'm playing around with between 30 and 45 grams of carbs per hour. So I feel like at the moment, because I don't need, you know, more than sort of one gel, um, I'm just going to stick to that. But as soon as I need more carbohydrate sources, I'm going to start adding in the little baby serenes plus the gels and then maybe some energy chews at some point as well. Because as you'll know, maybe from experiences that 
if you just have gels all the time oh my god your gut's just not gonna be thankful for it at all so i mean by the time we get to the ultra i reckon if we're talking like a full size loaf i'm gonna say maybe three full size loaves for the actual race i don't know if that is actually realistic or if it's actually not enough but I also don't want to shit myself, so I'm being a bit conservative here. So <laughs> anyway, okay, question number six. Did you always know what you wanted to do as a kid? I did not know, but I did grow up knowing um, that I wanted to be an athlete of some form. Like I was always super interested in training. I actually wanted to be a footballer at one point as well. Um, but just always super, super active as a kid. It's funny actually because when sometime when some people ask me sorry when i got into the industry or how i got into the industry should i say they just obviously asked me about the origin story and how it all started and it's funny because i did i so basically i trained to be a professional contemporary dancer years ago um at the northern school of contemporary dance which is based in chapel town in leeds it was an incredible experience and that was for me the closest thing that i could get to of the feeling of being a full-time athlete which is which i think is why i loved it so much because it was brutal anyone that was in you know my year or training as a dancer around that time at northern will know how brutal it is because the level of work ethic discipline the time, energy and effort you have to put into becoming better is just out of this world. But as soon as you wake up, you're just dedicating your entire day to dancing and just warming up, cooling down, getting the the lessons done, working on whatever projects that you're in. And I'm not even joking. Some days you'd start, you'd be in the, in, uh, the dance school from as early as 7am and not even leave until 9pm. It depends what sort of projects you had on in the afternoon. Um... And I think for me, that was like the closest thing that I got to in terms of being an athlete. But whilst I was there, I remember, obviously I was at that time in the pursuit of trying to make it as a professional contemporary dancer or doing the training that's going to put me in that scenario where I can, you know, obviously audition and, you know, get some artists to hire me as their dancer. But I remember the principal in one of our career meetings turned around to me <laughs> and was like, have you thought about being uh, becoming a personal trainer? And at the time I was so offended because I was like, how dare you? Like, I'm here at this dance school and you're now actually asking me, have you thought about being a PT? But she wasn't the only person to say that. Like, even throughout my entire degree whilst I was there, so many people that was studying with me at the same time said the exact same thing. They were like, have you thought about becoming a PT? Thought about becoming a coach? And I'd be like, why do people keep saying this? Like, I, I, I really don't know why you keep saying it. And obviously, at the time, I couldn't see what they could see in me, which was my energy, how much I love training and just how much, you know, I was inspiring other people and how much they wanted to sort of improve themselves from seeing how hard I worked and vice versa. They saw something in me that they wanted. So obviously they thought, well, you know, become a PT. And then lo and behold, almost 10 years later, I'm still doing that. So <laughs> yeah, quite long winded um question sorry answer to that question but i hope that um answers your question okay number seven top tips for women who want to lose weight so this is this is something that obviously with me working with ladies predominantly um you know the odd guy does reach out to me but knowing that i'm working with ladies most ladies that come to me in the beginning typically have the same problem that you've been dieting for years you're fed up, you're frustrated because you haven't seen the results, you feel like you're going backwards and you feel like 
there's just so much information on the internet on social media you might have even worked with a coach before but you haven't gotten to where you want to be and you probably convince yourself along the way that there's either something wrong with you or that you just can't do it that you're incapable of doing it so it's kind of like this perfect storm of getting in your own head and just you losing self-belief and confidence within yourself so what i would first of all look at and address is how long have you been dieting for and what have you been trying because that's going to dictate what you need to do to sort of move in the right direction in terms of finally getting the results that you want so let me just sort of give you a brief assumption of what i believe you probably need to do in that scenario because it sounds like you're struggling and it sounds like obviously you want to get to that point where you can finally lose weight so like i said for most ladies they've been dieting for years so the first thing that you need to do is to actually spend a period of time in a maintenance phase so what that essentially is is just eating enough for you to maintain the weight where you are now and that will sound scary at first because let's say for example if you're eating around 1500 calories this seems to be like a really popular number for some reason let's say that you're eating around 1500 calories and you're trying to lose weight but you're not and you're bouncing back and forth between eating more on the weekend and feeling like you're cheating on your diet because you're eating dust and vice versa so it's it's like a back and forth battle that you've got going on dieting as a whole is a stress on the body and it's something that we should only be doing for a short period of time but if we elongate that across years across months and we don't give your body and mind a break from that everything kind of gears down hormonally your stress increases so it just makes it super super hard for your body and your mind to be in the right environment for you to actually lose the weight that you want to so this is what i do with my ladies when they first come to me they get a little bit scared at first because their main goal is weight loss and fat loss and i'm saying okay we need to be eating more and sort of like what <laughs> but the reason for that is so that actually we can give your body like i said the time to get rid of that dieting fatigue to set your body and your mind up in terms of the hormonal environment and everything else internally that will affect your fat loss phase to ramp back up again and for you to actually have energy for you to actually enjoy food again and for us to actually find where your true maintenance is so not a lot of people know what this is so essentially everybody has different metabolic demands depending on sort of how much muscle they have their lifestyle and stuff like that so i'm not going to sit here and say that like it says in the packets for most um foods that you find the average adult should consume 2000 calories because you and i and everybody else into this are totally different we lead different lifestyles so you might actually work in a role where you're really active on your feet all the time and you go to the gym maybe three to four times per week so your maintenance amount for you maintaining your weight as to where you are might actually be way further up than you think in terms of caloric intake so what i normally do is i'll roughly estimate what that is for a lady when they first start with me and then from there if they don't put on any weight they feel good and actually sometimes what happens is you end up actually losing weight when i give ladies more food is because their body's suddenly really responsive to this energy intake you're moving more and we're just given the nourishment that the body needs so initially sometimes you actually have a drop and then you go back to sort of maintaining around about where you are so essentially within this time period we can keep increasing calories until we find your true what's called a calorie ceiling 
which basically means that is your true maintenance in terms of with where your lifestyle is at, with how much you train, how much you move on a daily basis, that is your true maintenance for you staying exactly where you are. So obviously from there, if that then means that we've got an extra 750, maybe even an extra 1,000 calories on top of what you'd normally or presume that you should be having, that then means that we can spend a period of time giving you amazing nourishment, getting you strong, um, enjoying your training, and then it'll set your body and your mind up um, hormonally in terms of stress and everything else into the perfect environment for your body to actually positively respond to you being in a calorie deficit, okay? So that's the whole reason why you'd need to spend a little bit of time in that maintenance phase. And then from there, the biggest bang for buck things that you can do for weight loss and fat loss in general, weight training, and just making sure that you're actually not sedentary. Are you moving enough? So, you know, if it, you don't have to always jump to 10,000 steps, but if you're not even getting around 5,000 steps, one of the biggest things that we can do is just maybe increase your step count by 25% from where you are, and then just sort of take it from there, because we have to think about Obviously, the, the equation that you have heard of is energy in versus energy out, but it's more nuanced than that. And it's about finding um, a way that you can implement your lifestyle to suit you in terms of your um, energy intake, your gym routine, and obviously your steps, but also just making sure that we are managing stress, sleep, and other lifestyle factors so that you're not running yourself into the ground and burning yourself out. So if I had to um, lay it out in a step-by-step -step process, number one would be spend a period of time um, at your maintenance phase or your maintenance period. If you don't know where that is, obviously you can explore with that. Then it would then be to, after that, enter your fat loss phase, which would then include you going to the gym three, maybe no more than four times per week, weight training, um, making sure that you're moving enough outside of the gym and making sure from a nutrition perspective you're fueling yourself adequately in your eating foods that are nourishing you and help you feel and function at your best. So I hope that answers your question. Very long-winded, but I just wanted to go into some more detail about the reasons as to why you need to go into a maintenance phase in the beginning and just obviously find that caloric ceiling so that your body is set up for success by doing that in the beginning. Okay, so question number eight, Barca. How was a half marathon in the heat? Anything you'd do differently? So what I actually found is it wasn't that hot in all honesty with Barcelona. Like it was 10, maybe 11 degrees at a push on a morning, but it got as high as 16, 17. And the day that I got there, I was kind of fuming because <laughs> it was raining, but I got there in the evening after being at a live event for a couple of days. So it was a little bit more um, colder um, when I got there in the evening. But the first day, it was a little bit overcast, a little bit windy. And I did that typical British thing where I put on like a, a crop top that was like just just basically sort of covering like the sort of the chest area and like you know you know what i mean like the crop top vest sort of thing with some cargoes trying to look all edgy and like city like some in barter but it was actually baltic it, it wasn't baltic it was cold but the locals were just giving me so many looks because like what on earth are you doing like it's it's not even that warm like just typical brit um just to give you a scope as to how sort of chilly it was but then on the actual day it was super clear 
um and it was around 10 degrees at the start and then it did get a little bit warm towards the last sort of quarter of the race um so what i did notice is that as the heat started to beat down i did feel a bit more fatigued because i was pushing the pace as well but in all honesty i only felt that in the last sort of five kilometers before the end um so i think looking back i don't think i would do anything differently if i was doing that and it was significantly warmer i would then make sure that if i'm sort of pushing the pace and i'm trying to get better um in terms of timings and stuff like that I would then just make sure that I actually expose myself to heat prior to doing a race in the heat. Because one thing that actually throws a lot of people off is that you obviously can't control the weather, but if you're going to go abroad and do something where you know it's going to be warmer, you either have to be realistic with thinking about the pacing that you're going to have um, in terms of pushing that or just running it for fun. Because if you do something that demands you know, more energy in terms of exhaustion and stuff like that, um, from the heat then you have to train for that you can't just rock up and just do the same as you normally would do okay question number nine i'm fed up of dieting but scared to eat more what do i do so this kind of relates to what i what i answered in question seven with top tips for women who want to lose weight so i, I totally get that you know if you've been dieting for so long but you're also really really scared um to eat more what i would strongly suggest is that First of all, embrace the fact that you know that obviously you can't live the rest of your life dieting because it, it it's just shit. Like nobody wants to spend the rest of their life dieting and not enjoying themselves. But you obviously, you've got some results that you want to achieve for yourself in terms of feeling good in your own skin and vice versa. So what I would do, oh, just dropped my Apple Pencil. What I would do first of all is just take the pressure off in terms of trying to, you know, give yourself a timeline of where it is you want to be and understand first of all, what you have to do is slowly ease yourself back into um, eating more. Um, because if you try to jump straight back up from maybe, again, using the example of eating 1,500 calories to maybe 2,000 might feel like it's too much as well, right? So you want to meet yourself halfway and maybe go for 1,750. And I would actually implore you at some point later on in your journey to explore with um, intuitive eating because... Again, you don't want to be tracking all year round for the rest of your life because um, you want to be able to have the skills and tools to, you know, eat mindfully to sort of nourish yourself, but also just not always worry about tracking everything because it, it isn't a nice feeling. Um, so tracking in the beginning is a great way of helping you get where it is you want to be but you want to be able to at some point let go of that but that that happens later on down the line so anyway i digress back to it so what i would recommend is slowly increasing your calories by around 200 maybe 250 um every two weeks or maybe every week if every week feels like it's too much um then you could do it every two weeks and you're probably going to be more inclined to do it every two weeks because it's long enough for you to build the habit of, you know, building the meals or adding whatever it is you need to those meals to actually consistently hit that um, calorie intake coming in. But it's also just going to make sure that you don't feel like you're doing too much too soon, again, in terms of adding more food. Because again, we need to address the fact that you are fed up of dieting, but you're scared to eat more. So we have to work with that and we have to ease um yourself into eating more and what you'll notice is that as you're slowly increasing your calories you'll gradually have more energy and you'll start to view eating more as a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing and obviously depending on 
what your goals are. You'll get to a point where you might actually feel that you are adequate, adequately fueling yourself and nourishing yourself um, and you actually feel better for eating more. So obviously at some point you'll, you'll reach that maintenance point, whatever it is you're looking for. Um, and then just, you know, I think from there, it depends on what your goals are moving forward in all honesty. But to directly answer your question, every two weeks, between 200 250 calories and just see how you get on until you get to that position where you feel like you're no longer dieting you're enjoying your food again and you've got more energy and you just have more vitality and life um so i hope that helps but again feel free to drop me a message and i'll go into some more detail if you need okay question number 10 how do i get strong but not lose my fat loss results so this is a funny one because a lot of ladies obviously want to lose body fat, but you also want to get strong. You want to have more muscle, but you also don't want to lose your results as well. So it's super, super common that you have this sort of conflicting battle going on. Now, what I will say is that you cannot be lean all year round. You cannot be, you know, super, super lean and just look like an absolute... I don't even know what to reference anymore, but you know what I mean? You'll have an expectation in your head of what you think your version of your leanest is, but you can't maintain that all year round. And also you shouldn't do because seasons change. And also you want to make sure that your body fat percentage is in a range where you are supporting yourself hormonally as well. So let's say, for example, if you have the expectation in your head of getting photo shoot lean, you know, you might not, you might not have this expectation, but I'm just giving you this for a reference so that you could understand like um, the reasons why we need to change it year round. So let's say, for example, you've done a photo shoot or some 12, 16 week block of fat loss and you've gotten really, really lean. Okay, so obviously then we then need to think about, okay, well, we've, we've dropped your body fat down. So the first priority would then be, depending on how lean you are, even maintaining where you are but obviously if, if you've got photo shoot lean you need to get back to a position where you're putting on more body fat it doesn't have to be a lot but it, you're not going to look the same as in that photo shoot and that has to be a reality that you have to accept so let's shift the perspective to you know regular fat loss results where you've just lost the weight that you want to you feel and look awesome and you're trying to maintain that so then the next stage is building up for that maintenance so we want to be making sure that post fat loss if you can slowly introduce more food to the point where you're getting to 103 percent of your body weight so what i mean by this for example let's say if you end your fat loss phase and you're at 150 pounds for example i'm not saying this number because it's the perfect number to get to by the way this is just a number that's in my head and it's something that i've done with my clients as well so let's say you get to 150 pounds so one percent of 150 pounds is 1.5 pounds is that right I think so. Um, so 103% would then be, blah, 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 my math is terrible as you can tell, so 4.5 pounds. So we've got a fluctuation range of between 150 pounds and 154.5 pounds, sorry. So that then gives us a buffer for when we're adding more food to find your brand new maintenance, how much we can push your food and then pull it back if we need for that post fat loss phase, right? Okay, so... This then actually also gives us a buffer for knowing where your true maintenance is at your new results because getting results is one thing, but sustaining them is something else, right? And also within that time, you might have more muscle and we have to just counter for that. So your metabolic needs or your energy demand needs 
would have significantly changed, right? So let's say that you can eat more, but you're maintaining this 150 between 154.5 range, right? So from there, in order for you to get strong and essentially put on more muscle, the body needs to be in a small surplus so that you can actually recover and that you can actually put on muscle tissue to, you know, get stronger and to build muscle tissue. So if we look at the the science of fat loss, let's not say science, let's just look at the reality of fat loss phase and uh, muscle gain or like a strength building phase, right? If we're demanding more from the energy, uh, from the body, sorry, in terms of sort of muscle gain and strength, I think it's safe to say that we have to then give the body more fuel to adapt for that, to recover and to add on that muscle tissue. So that then requires that we teeter ever so slightly away from that lean position that you were in before, but you're not going stupid with it. You're not going really crazy with it. So some people assume that because if you want to get strong and you want to add on more muscle, that you have to be in a massive calorie surplus. And it is a myth. You can still hold a very respectable body composition and be in a strength building phase or a muscle building phase. It doesn't have to be um, a quote unquote dirty bulk where you are just eating anything and everything. And if anything, that will actually make that harder because you can't actually see the muscle tissue that you're adding on and you can't actually get a good representative of whether or not you're fueling yourself so that you can recover well and you're performing really well with your strength sessions um, or that the extra weight that you've piled on really quickly from eating everything is just the thing, the reason why you're stronger. You want it to be coming from the work that you're doing, not just from um, weighing more because there is a reality for the fact that if you weigh more, typically you can move more weight around it when it comes to strength. But if you want your relative strength, so what that means is relative to your body weight, and let's say, for example, if you're 55 kilos and you want to be able to deadlift 100, but you can't even deadlift 60. So your relative strength, once you are able to get to 100 kilos, is pretty epic because you can lift almost double your body weight, right? But for someone that is 100 kilos, deadlifting 100 kilos, um that'll feel quite light relative to where they are in that moment in time. So we've, we've got to look at that as well. We have to factor that into it. This is a very long-winded answer, but I hope it's making sense. Um, I like to go into detail about these things just so that you've got like a broader context because a lot of it is just, it depends and it's not black and white. It's very nuanced. So we have to counter, we have to factor that in, sorry, for the fact that, you know, if you're demanding more of your body, you want to add more muscle tissue, you want to get stronger, then you have to be able to recover and adapt to that. Um, so it will require a small surplus. I would say around 5% above your maintenance. That's probably where you're going to feel most comfortable. But just bear in mind, you will feel a touch fluffy. Everybody loves using this word fluffy. And it's because you're not as lean as you was before. But like I said, you can still hold a really, really respectable condition um, in terms of your body composition when it comes to adding muscle and vice versa. But I also want to challenge your thinking on this in relation to expecting to be lean all year round. Because the reality of it is, is that let's say that you go on holiday and you feel awesome in your bikini or your swimming costume and vice versa. But you'll get to a point in the year where you want to enjoy your food again. And you want to not think too much about what it is that you're eating. You want to be able to eat out and not track diligently and vice versa. And so that'll actually require you get into a position where 
you're not going to be lean all year round. You will go through periods of time in, in your year and you should do, again, to support yourself hormonally and your health um, because we have to look at health at a broader spectrum as well in terms of social health, um, psychological health, physical, everything else like that. So if you're constantly depriving yourself of the, the social lives, the, the social lives, your social life in terms of eating with other people, going on holidays and not thinking about dieting and not, in, not even having a diet break, that's going to cause so much fatigue both mentally and physically. So let go of the idea that you have to be lean all year round. Embrace the fact that if you want to get strong and if you want to add some muscle, you will have to eat more, slightly above your maintenance, but it doesn't have to be much. I'm talking 5% and you'll feel so much better for it because you will be stronger, you'll add more muscle. And then if you want to add, um, if you want to do another fat loss phase later on down the line to see how much muscle you've built in a little bit more detail, you can do that as well. But it's not something that's absolutely necessary. But again, you know, it depends what your goals are in the long term. Um, so essentially, that is how I would navigate around getting strong, adding muscle, and letting go of the idea that you should be lean all year round. Like you, you can find a, a happy medium where you feel awesome and you're in a slight surplus and you're building, um, but you know you're not too far away from where it is where you finished with your previous fat loss phase. Again. If you want me to go into more detail about that and just sort of get really granular about it and we can have like a chat directly in the DMs, just message me on Instagram and I'd be more than happy to chat to you because I'm here to help and I'm here to give you the skills and tools that you need to get rid of all the bullshit um, that's online and just get to what it is that you need to be doing so that you can have the internal freedom and fulfillment that you want. Stop dieting forever um train like a badass and just build a body that you love for life that is the reason why i love doing what i do as a coach so i hope this q a session um has been enjoyable for you like i said any questions you want to ask me off of the back of this q a please feel free to get in touch and i'll get back to you as soon as i can but keep your ears ears peeled keep your eyes peeled keep your ears open for the next Q&A or the next episode that's about to drop. I haven't planned it yet, but it'll be coming out real soon. Anyway, have an amazing day and I will speak to you soon.